0: you're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com good
1: morning church my name is Derek and this is my wife Denise and we'll be reading from Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 John chapter 14, verse 6, and Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word.
0: Mark 1 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts 2, through 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks, God. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, guys. I'm going to pray and we will get into this here, this question. God in heaven, we come to you now, inviting you and your Holy Spirit to come to speak to us to enlighten our hearts, and to engage not only our minds, but our hearts that we might be changed. We ask this, that we might be more like the Christ who we claim to worship as Christians. For those here who are not Christians, we pray God that you would reveal yourself to them here today, in Jesus' name, amen. So again, the question, aren't we better off without Christianity, And we're going to look now first at uh, why people would answer yes to this question. We're going to do it in three different categories of people. And I'm not trying to be comprehensive here, because uh, there's a lot of different reasons why someone might answer yes. But I'm trying to give a good example of why someone within this particular worldview might answer yes. So we're going to start with atheists, okay? Atheists, why would an atheist say yes to aren't we better off without christianity and the answer they might give is because christianity like all religions prevents humans from progressing now in this view religion acts like an inhibitor chip right that, that controls people and it prevents society from solving its problems it's kind of like you know on the matrix there that inhibitor chip that was put in Uh, Another way that it's been described, Karl Marx famously said, religion is the opium of the masses. You guys might have heard that before. And so who needs it, right? Who needs religion? Who needs Christianity? Well, let's look at this for just a minute, a little bit more closely. Let's look at the goggles that, that this worldview is looking at the world through. It's looking at the world in such a way that sees religion, first off, as contrary to reason right that, that religion in order to be able to believe it you have to see it uh, apart from reason i'm going to hopefully prove through this series that that's not true of christianity but we'll be it'll take the entire series to get through that but even more important to these goggles than the issue of reason is this the the underlying belief that as human beings we're capable of solving the world's problems with our own wisdom, and power. That is the most fundamental belief. And in order to give this a fair hearing, uh, we we have to acknowledge the truth where it exists, okay? So there is some truth to this idea, and I think that's why it's so believable. Humans do have incredible wisdom and power, and, and people of all different stripes. I mean, Christians non-Christians, doesn't matter. People have been able to achieve some great things, sometimes even for the common good of people and our planet. And so, yes, there is some truth here. But let's test the theory that that Christianity inhibits progress. Perhaps we could begin with Karl Marx. He's the one who said the opium of the mass, religion's opium of the masses, right? How did that whole communist thing work out, guys? that worked out pretty well, right? Did Marx's efforts actually work in practice? No. Did, did people successfully create this secular utopia, this secular system where no one had ultimate power? No, right? Uh, obviously. I mean, Stalin and Chairman Mao probably are the most uh, worst, the worst examples of, of the failure of this ideology, right? They, some people estimate that they're responsible for the loss of almost 100 million lives, right? And, and the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the world. And so has humankind actually progressed on the basis of atheist thought? I mean, sure, we've done some great things. We've got to acknowledge that with science, tech, medicine, There are some uh, arrogant atheists, some of the, the new atheist crowd, who conveniently neglect to mention that the worldwide spread of things like modern science and engineering and medicine has its origins in Christianity. But despite all the good progress that we have made, we still haven't curbed the problem of human evil. We still can't stop human wickedness. And on top of all of that, the greatest result of human evil is distance from God, who is the giver of life, which of course leads to our death because we're distanced from Him. And death is an enemy that we cannot outrun no matter how hard we try. And so while the atheist goggles say that Christianity prevents humans from solving the world's problems, the Christian goggles expose the truth that humans are not the solution to the world's problems we are the cause of them we are the cause of them and this i, I got to imagine even if you're not a christian and you're with us which we are very happy about by the way are you hearing this online or happy you're hearing this even if that's the case this is probably not hard to understand or accept right uh Some things like natural disasters or or disease, we can say, okay, those might not be the direct result of human evil. We're going to address that later on in the series. But while disasters and disease aren't always the direct results of human evil, the vast majority of our problems are. Can we all just say an amen to that? Can we acknowledge that, right? Poverty, abuse, oppression, murder, betrayal, hatred, slander and strife all come from human beings doing what we do. And so we need to be saved from our own wisdom and power. We need to be saved from our own pride and sin. We need to be saved from death. And that's what Jesus came to do. And he spoke about this all over the place, but one of the most explicit is at the beginning of Mark's gospel. We heard it read earlier. Mark 1:14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came to bring us to God, to save us. He came to it says here uses the language of bring us into the kingdom of God. And the entry requirement that he gave was repentance and belief. Repentance is making a 180 degree turn. 180 degrees. Whatever direction you were headed in life, you turn around and go the opposite way. Why? Because you were living for a kingdom other than God's. Most likely in our culture, you're living for your own autonomous kingdom, and you turn around and you, because you realize that that direction that you were headed was wrong, and the other way is right. You turn around because you believe in the gospel, and the gospel is the good news that though we are the cause of the world's problems, though human sin has tainted everyone and everything, Jesus came to make all things new. And this is good news. Jesus came to heal a broken humanity, to heal this broken planet. And so he died and he took the punishment that we deserved for our pride and for our sin. But he also rose and put death to death. He defeated our greatest enemies. And so when you take off those atheist goggles and you begin to see the world through the lens of the gospel, not only do you begin to see everything more clearly, including your own self, but you also begin to see everything with more hope because human progress isn't dependent on humans coming up with answers for the future. The plans of God's future have already been laid. And so we progress toward that reality by his wisdom and by his power. So that's one look at atheism. I realize I'm blasting through this stuff, but this is just to try and give us a, a feel for things, okay? I want to look now at another group of people that might answer yes to this question, aren't we better off without Christianity, the group of agnostics. They might say, yes, We're better off without Christianity because how can you say only one road leads to God? right? Very common view. In other words, they might say, aren't all religions more or less the same? Can't we all just get along? And there's an ancient uh, Hindu parable that illustrates this idea very well. It goes like this. You guys have probably heard it before. A group of blind men encounter an elephant for the first time. And one touches it's trunk and he says, This is like a snake. And then another one touches it's ear and says, This is just like a fan. And then a third blind man touches the elephant's leg and says, Elephants are like trees. And a fourth blind man touches the elephant's side and says, This is just like a wall. And then the fifth blind man holds the elephant's tail and says, This is just like a rope. And finally the sixth blind man touches its tusk and says, Elephants are just like spears. And the point of the story is trying to make is that the elephant represents God. And each person's, if you want to call it revelation, of God is true. But no one has the full multifaceted picture. But notice the inherent contradiction in this story. Think about this for a minute. Who are we in this story? We are the one with the full multifaceted picture. We are the narrator, the one who knows all, or at least if you're hearing the story being read, we're the very not-blind observer, right, that, that sees that whole picture. And while this story and this way of thinking seems at first as though it's humble... It actually avoids, or, or, sorry, that it seems as though it avoids making truth claims that impose our views onto others, right? It seems that way, yet to say that all religions are equally true is a truth claim. It's making a truth claim, and it's one that actually contradicts most of the truth claims of those religions, including Christianity, And likewise, it's a contradiction for someone who has this worldview to say, I can't believe in one faith because it's too, you know, based on doctrine and and dogma. And we can just say, how about we just say all roads lead to God. It's a contradiction for them to say that because it's its own doctrine and dogma. It's its own religion. And that's fine. If you want to make that your religion, that's fine. But does Christianity offer a better way, one without contradictions like these? And of course, I'm going to say yes, yes. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said to him, as one of his disciples, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, that's God, except through me. Christianity is both the most exclusive and inclusive faith. It's exclusive because over and over and over again, Jesus says things like he says in this verse. Jesus claims to be the only way that humans can know God. And yet, Christianity is also very inclusive because in many places, Jesus also welcomes anyone, anyone, the only entry requirement is what we talked about earlier repentance and belief. And so, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter what you have done, no matter what has been done to you, you can belong. You can know God. That's the good news here. Check this out check out how inclusive Jesus is. John, there's just a little quick survey. John 8, 12, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John ten nine. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and like a sheep will go in and out and find pasture. John eleven twenty five 25 through 27, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Did you notice the pronouns that Jesus used in each of these sentences, he said, whoever, whoever, anyone. He used the word anyone. It doesn't get much more inclusive than that. But it also doesn't get more inclusive. Sorry, exclusive. See, Jesus is the only way humans can know God. Why? Why is Jesus the only way? Why? How can he even make these claims? It's because he is God. In the flesh. He is God in the flesh. And because he uh, is God, he has the right to welcome anyone to God. And because he is human, he brings God to humanity. And so Christianity is the most exclusive, but it's also the most inclusive faith. And more than that, an- another response to this agnostic uh, yes is to look at the fact that Jesus has revealed God to us. We can have confidence that unlike other religions, it's not like blind blind men fumbling around with an elephant. Because Christianity is actually true history. That's what sets it apart. Check this out. Just think about this for a minute. This is how other world religions were started. So, Guy has a dream or a private revelation of some sort about God, right? Maybe it's a private angelic encounter about God. And then they have this private idea about God, which they somehow record, right? They try and summarize what they believe they've been, uh, the, the revelation they've received. And then that one person goes and tells everyone what they saw. This is true of you know islam it's true of mormonism it's true of buddhism this is the way that world religions begin it's just with this one guy who got the special revelation whereas here's how christianity started after a very public ministry christ was killed publicly by the way you might get annoyed at how redundant they use the word public but it's for emphasis okay christ was had a public ministry he was killed publicly and then Christ rose from a tomb publicly, and a Christ appeared publicly to the public, right, okay, uh, to groups of more than 500 people at a time, and then those people are the ones who went and told everybody what they had seen. You see the difference? Christianity is true history. And so we say, we respond to the agnostic Yes, to this question, we'd say, No, we're not better off without Christianity because Jesus is God and Christianity is true history. There's one last yes that I want to respond to today. We've looked at an atheist yes, an agnostic yes. Now we want to look at a deconstructing Christians yes. And you might not be familiar with the term deconstructing Christians, it's essentially a wide spectrum of people, people might mean something completely different by that if they're saying they're deconstructing, but the general gist of it is people are kind of dismantling their faith, okay? Someone who was a Christian may be no longer Christian or very ambivalent about it. And they might say something like, aren't we better off without Christianity? Well, they might not be so firm about it. They might not say yes. They might say, well, probably, Right? Probably, because look at how much damage has been done in the name of Christ. Or to put it into Gandhi's words, Gandhi says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians, which is a relatable phrase, right? I mean, I can relate to that. Some of you are even Christians who don't like Christians, (laughs) okay? Welcome, welcome to the church. We're glad you're here. You might be happy to associate yourself with Christ, but unhappy calling yourself a Christian. The, the modern version of the Gandhi phrase is commonly seen in uh, bumper stickers and t-shirts, right? <laughs> Have you guys seen this one? Jesus save me from your followers. I think that's pretty funny. I'm glad some of you guys laughed. I think that's funny because um, there's a little part of me that can relate to that, right? But this is not just a joke. It's not. Because, unfortunately, Christians often don't look like Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. All Christians have sinned, and therefore all of us have harmed someone in the name of Christ. Likewise, we have been harmed by someone in the name of Christ. Whether that's by people who are really genuinely trying to follow Him and absolutely failing... Or by someone who goes, yeah, I'm going to rubber stamp Jesus' name on my blatantly not-like-Jesus behavior. Whether it's anyone on that spectrum, you may have been harmed. I'm going to guess you have been harmed by someone in the name of Christ. And so we really we need to soberly evaluate this for a moment. I want to share with you guys some of my story here um, Most of you are probably aware that Trinity, our church, was planted out of the ashes of Mars Hill Church, which is a big megachurch here in the Seattle region and moved to multi-state. I was a pastor there for a long time. The way I like to talk about it was Mars Hill was a very big church with some very big problems. And when I talk about it that way, it can feel a little bit kind of nebulous or a little like cryptic, like, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by big problems? Well, for those of you who weren't around, we didn't have the usual problems, per se. Usually, you know, it's things like the pastor commits adultery or something like that. That didn't happen there. But Mars Hill was a place where, and as I continue to finish that sentence, I want to just say I'm, I'm giving you guys a confession, okay? This is a conf- public confession, of sin, Mars Hill was a place that we misused power as a way to manipulate and control people. That is not Christ-like. Mars Hill was a place where achievement at times was more important than people. That is not Christ-like. Christ loves people. Mars Hill was a place where at times the ends justified the means. It didn't matter how we did it as long as we were working towards something we could all say was good. That's not Christ-like. Mars Hill was a place where flashy and attractive were more important than small and significant. That's not Christ-like. Mars Hill was a place where our senior leader was idolized And allowed to do whatever he wanted. That's not Christ-like. And in fact, I'd go beyond that. It wasn't just our senior leader that was idolized. It was the entire idea of what that church was. Was idolized. And I'm confessing this to you because I was complicit in that. I sometimes actively participated in that. After Mars Hill, sorry, I didn't realize how emotional this was going to make me. Um, after Mars Hill, I was a mess. I was a mess. I was grieving what we did. I was grieving what I did. And my faith in Jesus had been so informed by this culture, so shaped by this un like culture that I struggled to see which way was up. I just couldn't, I couldn't tell. And so my, I went on this journey then of, of reconstructing my faith. Not deconstructing my faith. I had to go back to the basics. I knew that Jesus was good. I just had to figure out how to get back to him. And I began investigating where I went wrong and repenting which included reconciling with people who I had harmed and and learning how to pastor in a new way, changing how I did things, I began to investigate where we went wrong and repenting. Yes, even if I wasn't the direct one that did it, where we went wrong and repenting, which included identifying systemic problems in the church, that harmed the church as a whole, grieving those things and seeking to try and make those things right, trying to change culture to live within the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. I began investigating what I believed and why and taking a new look at those things, asking some of the hardest questions facing Christianity today, just like we're doing in this series. You know, broken church cultures and... Scandals of church leaders and disappointed hopes and hurts from church communities are only some of the many examples of ways that people do harm in the name of Christ. So what are we to do with it? What are we supposed to do with all of this? Well, to begin with, we've got to acknowledge the wrong done in the name of Christ and lament it. Got to just lament it. For those of you who have been affected this way, I've got to just say to you, I'm so sorry for the wrong that has been done to you in the name of Christ. I genuinely mean that. For those of you guys who are Christians in the room, can you just say amen to agree with that? If you've been damaged by the very people who were supposed to help you to flourish, I'm so sorry. Those people have done evil in the name of the only one who has never done evil. And they've tarnished his reputation. And so the church has got to take a hard look at itself and allow even those who are outside of the church to... Help us to become more like Christ. And the reason why is because we must allow anyone at any time, whether they're inside or outside of the church, to help us to see whether what we're doing in Christ's name is consistent with Christ. And in fact, during this series, we'll pause throughout it periodically to acknowledge the wrongs that the church has done in the name of Christ and repent. At Trinity, we recognize that all churches are full of sin because they are full of sinners, just like the rest of the world. But we deeply desire to be a place where people can experience the real Christ. And so when we sin, we want to repent. We want to make it right. We want to change. And we get to do that by the joy and the grace of our God. What else are we to do with all this? Well, I'd like to propose to you that we can't look at the wrongs done by those who claim to be Christians as evidence that the faith itself is wrong. Because those who have misrepresented Jesus can't be used as an example of what he is actually like. And those who have tried tried but failed to rightly represent him doesn't make their beliefs untrue. It makes their actions inconsistent with their beliefs. And Jesus was adamantly against that kind of behavior. Jesus, more than any single group of people, Jesus called out the hypocrites. And so as Christians, we say, no, we're not better off without Christianity because there's a difference between Christ and the wrongs done in his name. And look at how good Christ is. Look at how good Christ is. Let me flesh that statement out a little bit by returning to that important call from Jesus that we looked at earlier, to repent and believe in the gospel. You know, repentance and belief, it's not just a one-time thing. It's an all-of-life thing. It's it's an ongoing way of life because it's entrance into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, we have a change of mind. We have a change of heart. We have a change of goggles, right? Right? We have all of these changes, the change of values, changes like our lives are now marked by wanting to love our neighbors, even love our enemies. That's what we are being brought into. Changes like forgiving those who have sinned against us. Changes like serving those who are vulnerable. All of this and far more, living with Jesus as the king of the world. That's what it's all about. And so for those who don't repent and believe and yet claim to be Christians, they don't represent Christ. They're actually very much opposed to him. But let's look at what happens when people do repent and believe in the gospel because that's where we find the true legacy of Christianity. And of course, it it began right after Jesus died rose and ascended into heaven. He sent his spirit, poured out a spirit on the earth, and on this one day, Pentecost, over 3000 people came to faith. The church just blew up. All these people were seeing Jesus as as amazing and seeing the gospel as good news and and their lives were being transformed and here's what happened. Here's what it looked like. Acts 2, 42-47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the scriptures, and the fellowship, that's spending time sharing life with one another, and the breaking of bread, that's communion, and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. These miracles start happening, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and that's worshiping and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved this is the kind of transformed society that can happen when people repent and believe. And this is the true legacy of Christianity on earth today. This is why billions and billions today hold to the Christian faith. I want to talk about that for a minute, look at that a little bit more deeply. In what ways has this kind of legacy transformed our world? Well, earlier I mentioned some atheists who decry Christianity as harmful to society, not helpful, but they're not the only atheists, and there's a wide range of views within atheism, and, and there are other atheists who recognize that society is actually built upon Christian values in the Western world anyway, that it's built upon Christian accomplishments, and I'll give you an example. Renowned historian Tom Holland, you guys are like, hold on, is that Spider-Man? No. No, different Tom Holland. This one's not an actor. This is a historian, but he's also a a British guy. And he says, I've seen no evidence that would satisfy me that anything supernatural exists. I've seen no proof for God. He doesn't believe in God. He's a full-fledged atheist. But he still acknowledges the way Christianity has positively impacted the world. Check this out. Here's what he says. Familiarity with the biblical narrative of the crucifixion has dulled our sense of just how completely novel a deity Christ was. Let me break that down for you because it's a little bit uh, worded difficulty. So what he's saying is we have gotten so numb, so used to the, the incredible nature of the cross that it's no longer incredible to us. That Jesus' death to us is sort of just, I mean, it's like something I wear around my neck. It's no big deal. But he's saying you forgot how new, how revolutionary what Jesus did was And he goes on to say Christianity is the principal reason why, by and large, most of us who live in post-Christian societies still take for granted that it is nobler to suffer than to inflict suffering. It's why we generally assume that every human life is of equal value. In my morals and ethics, I've learned to accept that I am thoroughly and proudly Christian. Okay, coming from a full-on atheist... But Christianity is not just responsible for our society's belief in the dignity of human beings in general. In Holland's book, Dominion, How How the Christian Revolution Remade the World, he proves that without Christianity, hospitals wouldn't have existed. Without Christianity, unwanted children would be left for dead. Without Christianity, schools wouldn't have existed. Without Christianity, modern science wouldn't exist. This modern atheist not only acknowledges, but he actually proves that all of the good in Western society comes from the fruit of Jesus' life, death, and he might, not, he might want to, like to leave out resurrection, but I'd, I'd, I'd include that one. Society has been completely transformed, all because people have been repenting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, there's a powerful story of a guy whose life was transformed in this way. His name was Saul. It's also called Paul. And he was raised in an extremely zealous household. He was a a Jew from a group called the Pharisees who believed that their religious conservatism was basically going to save the world. And in the years following Jesus' resurrection, Saul wanted nothing more than to snuff out Christianity. That was his goal. And he gave it a really good go. He tried really hard. As Christianity was spreading from Israel to Ethiopia and to the outer reaches of the Roman world, Saul was finding Christians. He was having them arrested, and in even some cases, he was having them killed. And all of this went on for several years, but no matter how much he tried, it didn't seem to work. Christians wouldn't keep their mouths shut. They wanted to keep going. They wanted to spread the word about Jesus. You couldn't threaten them because they weren't afraid to die. It's this incredible thing. And Saul was absolutely frustrated by all of this, but he was zealous nonetheless. Until one day where everything changed. He's walking on a dirt road from Jerusalem, going walking all the way to modern day Syria, Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. This miracle happens. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Which is kind of a funny question. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Notice, Paul's persecuting the church. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Jesus isn't distancing himself from all the flawed human beings that make up his body, the church. He says, You're persecuting me, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Many days, or several days later, God then sends Saul to begin his ministry of telling everyone the good news of the gospel. And so, this guy who's the poster child for the we are better off without Christianity movement. He met the risen Jesus on the road and everything changed. Then what happens? Verse 20 later on says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. Amazing transformation. Saul then spent the rest of his life sharing the message of Jesus, the gospel, and calling people to repent and believe in Jesus. This was not some superficial change. It wasn't, You know, a change of convenience. It wasn't just this trend that he was following. Paul actually said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then Saul died for Jesus. He died for his faith in Jesus Christ. Now most of us here, including me, praise God, won't have to experience that kind of suffering and death. So I, I, I don't mean to claim I've experienced anything remotely as significant as Saul did. But I did tell you earlier about my journey uh, of faith and, and how I worked through reconstructing my faith after Mars Hill. And I got to say, that time was just, it was brutal. It was so hard. It took my time it took my energy, it took uh, God, inviting God to come and to expose the ugliest parts of my life and my heart and the things that I had done and the things that had been done to me, and, and inviting him to bring healing and renewal into those areas. Why did I do all that? Why did I go through all that? Because while we are better off without the wrongs done in Christ's name, we are not better off without Christianity. I'm not better off without Christianity. We are better off with Christianity because we are better off with Christ. And that's what I want to leave you with. I'm going to pray. And we'll begin to respond with some Q&A time. Father God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus we thank you that while we opposed you while we continue to fail continue to sin continue to not represent you well you in your absolute grace receive us you've died for us in order to forgive us so we thank you for the good that repenting and believing in your powerful gospel leads to in this world. And we pray that for each person who hears this message, that they would jump on, uh, jump on that pathway and participate in what you're doing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.